Well, good morning. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, uh, when we walk into this place and when we sing together and when we pray together and confess together, when we hear your word read and, and we talk about it when we take the sacrament together, we believe that in all of those moments you meet us. And so, Father, we ask uh, that as we talk about this word that we're going to read together for a few minutes, that we would experience that to be uh, absolutely true, that we wouldn't just say that we believe it, but that we would know that it's happening, that by your spirit, you would open our eyes and our hearts to, to have it happen to us, that we would see how much you love us in Jesus, his grace, his mercy, his love, and that you would change us by it. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, this summer, uh, we have been reading from the Psalms of Ascents together. Uh, Those are Psalms 120 through 134, and they're commonly uh, thought to be songs that God's people sang uh, as they made their way to Jerusalem or after they got to Jerusalem for one of the yearly festivals. They are songs for the road, songs for the journey of faith. And that is definitely how we have been reading them uh, together as songs for our journey of faith together. And I want to say a little bit this morning about why uh, we're reading these songs uh, this this summer. Maybe you saw the note about it in the front of the order of worship. As many of you know, uh, the school at our sister church in Nashville, Covenant Presbyterian Church, suffered a, a mass shooting in March. And uh, our, our director of worship, Paul Vanderbile, is a friend of their director of worship, and they've been in close contact. And when we heard that they were reading the Psalms of Ascents together this summer, that that's what they were going to do, we decided to join them as a way of showing our solidarity with them, our unity with them, as a way to pray with them as they grieve and work towards healing. Together we have sung uh, some of the same songs. We have read uh, some of the same psalms together uh, on several Sundays this summer. And this morning's psalm is a uh, particularly meaningful song as we think about what our sisters and brothers in Nashville are going through and whatever it is that we also find ourselves going through. It is a song for God to restore our fortunes and to fix what has gone wrong, and to lead us into joy again. So we just sang Psalm 126, and I'll read it for us now. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed, or you can just listen as I read Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. That our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. 
This is God's word, and it's given for our good. So back in uh, early July of 2008, there was, a, there was a story in the news that kind of enthralled Chicagoland for about 24 hours. Uh, if you were around back in July of 2008, you might remember it. It was the story of a boy in Oswego who had, uh, meant, uh, who had went missing for a little while. His family, uh, the Flake family, had this uh, summer tradition of going out and eating ice cream together and watching the sunset. And so that particular evening uh, in early July of 08, all eight of them went out, mom, dad, the six kids, and they were gathering everything up to go back in after the sun had set, and they realized that their three-year-old son, Ryan, was not there. So they searched around the house, and after they searched there and in all of the usual uh, hiding spots, um, and they couldn't find him, they called for help. And that night, uh, 25 agencies and more than, than 300 volunteers started searching for this little kid through the night. And if anyone uh, was following that story or anyone heard that story and went to bed that night, they were hoping to wake up to good news in the morning, and the good news came. About 12 hours later, they found Ryan wandering around in the weeds by a retention pond about a mile from his home. Uh, He was wet and he was dirty and tired, but otherwise he was just fine, and so all was well. But the thing uh, that struck me about that story, and the reason that I'm telling it now, is the remarkable way that the family heard that good news been stuck in my head. The dad said that he was in a different room when the phone rang, and when the mom uh, picked up the phone, all he could hear was yelling and screaming. And so he ran to that room where the yelling and screaming was coming from, and he saw his wife collapse. (laughs) That must have been a scary few seconds for sure, until he figured out this is the good kind of collapsing. And I saw an interview with the mom after Ryan came home, and she said, this is what she said, it was the most incredible thing to hold him, which of course it was, of course it was, no doubt. That is, of course, what a mom is going to say. It was an incredible thing to hold him. But the thing that has stuck with me is that while she was saying that, she was laughing, just uncontrollably, involuntarily laughing. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. I mean, do you hear that? That's, uh, that's like waking up from a dream that seemed far too good to be true, only to find out that it was, in fact, absolutely true. Psalm 126 begins with memory. Psalm 126 begins with memory, memory of a great restoration, a restoration from God that was so great and so overwhelming that the people who experienced it felt like they were dreamers and all they could do was laugh. It was that good. And memory, church, and remembering and rehearsing and reciting and retelling that memory is an important part of our journey in the life of faith. The Psalms are chock full of rehearsing memories. 
and so are the letters of the New Testament, there's no way I could overstate how important that is for people like us. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, none of these, none of these psalms have date stamps on them. We don't know exactly what restoration this song is referring to, or even if it's just one restoration that was in mind and not a bunch of them. And at the risk of sounding uh, suspiciously like your eighth grade English teacher, that is why poetry is so awesome. <laughs> in order to read these psalms well, in order to appreciate why the psalms are such a good gift of God to people like us, they have to be read and they have to be appreciated as poetry. This song is not a history lecture, as good as those are, as much as some of us like history lectures this song is an invitation. This song is an invitation to step immediately and viscerally, viscerally into the joy of that particular memory. It is an invitation to step into that memory and relish it. It's an invitation for us to be like those who dream. And to be like those whose mouths are filled with laughter because God has stepped in and he has taken something wrong and made it right again. He's weakened some pain or some suffering. He has brought some kind of relief where there was pain and ache. He has worked justice where there was something wrong happening. And I know, <laughs> I know at least a few of you here this morning have felt something very much like that this week. You have felt the joy of restoration. You have felt the, the, the mouths filled with laughter. You have had your tongue filled with joy. And I know because you told me about it. And we rejoice with you and we sing with you. And I know too that there are, of course, others of us here this morning who feel as if we are still in it. Whatever it is, you know, whatever needs restoration in our own lives, whatever we would like God to turn around. The tension of a strained relationship, maybe, or the pain of a disease or an ailment, the sadness of a loss or a feeling of aloneness, the sense of being wronged with no resolution. I don't know exactly what it is that, that you feel like you really need God to come in and restore, but I do know that it's a huge part of our life to feel these things all of the time. So this song, this song is a good gift for all of us because it gives voice and it gives words to both our thanksgiving and our lament. And thank God for that. Because our journey of faith as followers of Jesus is always filled with an alreadiness and a not yetness. Thanksgiving and lament, church, they aren't mutually exclusive. They are almost always happening together in our lives, mingled together in the life of faith. Jesus has not yet made all things new, but every day he makes many things new. In your life and in mine and in the lives of people all around us. And that's just the truth, church, because that's what Jesus' resurrection does. It makes things new again. As Hopkins put it in his poem, as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, Christ plays in 10,000 places. And sometimes we see it and take notice of it, and other times we need other people to see it and point it out to us. 
And that's why I love that uh, second line of verse 2. The nations around Zion have looked at what happened to her. They have looked in from the outside at what happened, and they can't help but say something about it. Whatever the it was, maybe escape from one of the many sieges that Jerusalem had suffered, maybe the return from exile in Babylon, maybe a good harvest when it looks like things were going to be bad. Whatever it was, the nations looked in and they said, wow, Yahweh has done great things for them. He's done great things for them. And that's how it works sometimes, you know. Someone comes alongside us and they point, point into our lives and they point out to us how things have changed. They ask questions like, do you remember how it was? just a year ago? Do you remember what happened then? Do you remember how you felt, how low it was, how strange things seemed to you? And now look, things have changed. God has done great things for you. Man, I sure hope that someone has done that for you at some point in your journey of the life of faith. And I hope you have taken time to say that kind of stuff to somebody else because we need each other for that. And we need each other for that a lot. It's one of the reasons Jesus built a church. Because <laughs> no one's meant to follow him alone. And that's why the first half of the psalm ends like it does, with this really defiant and beautiful and convinced and very durable and sturdy note of joy. You know what? You're right. Thanks. Thank you. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. That kind of joy, that kind of durable joy isn't meant to be the exception for us as, as Christian people. It's meant to be the way how it, how it always is. It's meant to be how things are every day. As Eugene Peterson puts it, joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. <laughs> that means, church, the joy isn't something that we wake up in the morning and decide to like put on. I mean, you can have a cheerful disposition, and uh, you can choose to present as happy as best as you are able. You can choose to wear even difficult things lightly, and that stuff is great as far as it goes, but it is not joy. Joy, you know the real thing? As in, you know, the second fruit of the Spirit real thing? <laughs> Joy is the thing that comes to people like us when we relish the memory of God's goodness to us. And we live in gratitude for it. That's how it comes. There's no formula or trick to getting joy. Our part is to remember and to recite that memory and to rehearse that memory to ourselves and to each other. Our part is to live grateful for God's goodness and grace. And his part is to grow joy in us. And joy is far more durable than a cheerful disposition. <laughs> and it goes way deeper. And joy has a lot more muscle than trying to look on the bright side of things. Joy wades through tears and sorrow. Joy rescues folks who are in despair. Church, joy abides in the dark. It remains. 
And this broken world needs people who have joy, and so do I, and so do you. And I think it's important to say that the, the memory of God's goodness, this memory at the beginning of Psalm 126, it's not nostalgia. This song is not trying to remember the halcyon days, the good old days, in order to invoke some lost emotion or some nice feeling. Church, the memory of God's people here is the fuel of hope. It is the fuel of hope. It is the fuel of hope that burns hot and flames into joy when we need it the most. And that's exactly where the song goes next in verse 4. This is the turn in the poem from the memory of the past and God's goodness there to the present. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Make us like dreamers again, God. Fill our mouths with laughter again. Give us songs of joy again. See, they weren't remembering for the sake of nostalgia. They were remembering whatever that past goodness and grace was as the fuel of hope that God would do it again. And church, they had no reason, no reason at all to believe that somehow God was going to switch things up on them and start operating differently with them and being all hard and stingy with them. He's God and they know he means good for them. And so without any hesitation, and when this fuel of hope burning, they ask him to do it again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Such a beautiful and, and hopeful image. That's the, the desert region south of Jerusalem. I've never been there, but I've read that it's exactly like you would expect the desert to be. It's hard and it's desolate. But there are these wadis there, these gullies that you can tell water has run through in the past. And when the rainy season begins, these, these things go from dry and barren to overflowing with running water. And blossoms and grasses spring to life almost immediately all around them. Where hardness and pain were, there is now life and joy. And it's this sudden thing. <laughs> it's this instantaneous restoration like a dream it seemed too good to be true, but it's true. And it's not some kind of furtive wish. God's people aren't wishing. They are asking. They're not wishing. They're asking. And they know God can do it because they've seen him do it. They have been remembering God doing it and telling each other about God doing it and singing to each other about God doing it so often and for so long that they know that he can do it as well as they know the faces of their children and the faces of their spouses and friends. They know it. It's not a wish to them, it's not a faded dream, it's an ask. Like a child asking their mom or dad for something to eat without any thought that it might not happen. Like, of course it's gonna happen. Of course they're gonna give me food. And church, this is why the memory of God's goodness and the retelling of God's goodness to one another and the singing of God's goodness to one another and talking about it directly into the lives of each other, that's why it's so important because it is the fuel of hope that God burns into a durable joy that can stand up to anything, anything. And that's the truth. And so that's why they can sing about it like it's already done. 
like it's already happened. In verses 5 and 6, it's, it's certain. They don't, they don't sing, those who sow in tears, they might just reap with shouts of joy. That's not what they sing. They don't sing, those who go out weeping could, if, if they're lucky and the chips fall in just the right way and everything lines up, they could come home with shouts of joy. Bringing in sheaves of the harvest, no way. They sing it like it's a fact, because church, it is a fact. It is a fact. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And when our fathers and mothers first sang that song, um, and they didn't know how it was all going to work out, they sang it anyway with the defiance of joy. But church, we can sing it so much louder, and we can sing it with so much more defiance, because we do know how it's all going to work out. Because there was a pilgrim who walked on this path in front of us, and he did it in front of us because he loved us and wanted to lead us through it. There was a pilgrim who sang this song before it ever came to our lips. And this is what he sang. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And he's the pilgrim who made good in his own flesh and blood on that promise. He is the pilgrim who sowed the tears of his cross for us, who reaped the triumph of his resurrection for us and for the life of the world. Jesus, in mercy and in grace and in love for us, Jesus plays in 10,000 places, everywhere and always. In our lives, through the power of his resurrection. And that's precisely how we know that he's going to keep his promise to wipe away every tear and make everything new again. And in remembering that, and in knowing that, and in believing that, Jesus grows durable joy in your heart and in mine. So gladly, gladly we attest him, and gladly we praise him. And we remember and we recite our memory and we recite his power by joining the ancient song of the faithful, restore our fortunes, O Lord. We believe those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who cling tightly to the pilgrim who walked ahead of us in love, to the one who promised us that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy, to the one who said, blessed are you who weep because you will laugh. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for his cross and his resurrection for our good. Help us to cling in faith to him so that we would be strengthened, so that we could be a people through whom you love the broken world. And this morning we in particular think of our sisters and our brothers in Nashville, now many months on as the media has left 
and what they are left with is each other. Bind them together in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace. Help them to live well with one another, to grieve well in you. Help them to hope in you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.